0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world.
1: For more information about OKC First,
2: please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's
0: scripture comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we are justified justified by faith, faith, we have peace in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Wow, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Kennedy, for reading the scripture, and Tamar and everybody. It has been uh, quite the week to be your pastor. I am am honored and gratified uh, when... You come to me with your aches and pains, and some of them, some of them secretive. I am. I I it is it is an emotional thing, as those of you who have pastored know it's an emotional thing when people come to you and they say, hey, they, they lay their wounds open for you to see. And in that moment, you can see that they may not make it. And uh, this week, you have trusted me, a few of you have trusted me with that, and, I'm, and I am honored by it and, and moved by it and challenged by it and uh, have lost a little bit of sleep over it. But I think Trinity Sunday comes at a good time for you. In fact, I would ask us this question as we, as we start to move into this passage of scripture, and as we start to think through the ramifications of being a Trinitarian denomination, which we are, there are lots of different Christian denominations and we are one of the Trinitarian ones. In other words, what we believe about God as Trinity is super crucial and whether we know it or not, it undergirds everything that we say and every thought that we think and everything that we are, every decision. Here's the question I would ask you. If we were to examine the foundation of your faith, what it is that's there on the, on the very bottom, the, the, the bottom floor of your faith, what would we find? What, what vision or view of God would we find? I would submit to you, <laughs> I think there's gonna be all kinds of people in heaven. I mean, not, not just people who look like me. Thank the Lord, right? Right? Or think like me or believe like me. But I would say this to you, especially given what I have heard in the course of being a pastor this week. There are some people in the world, and I heard from some of you this week, your only hope is that you understand God to be Trinity. That may not make sense just yet, but I'm telling you, your only hope is to understand God as Trinity. God as relationship, God as a relational entity. Your only hope, by the way, my only hope is to build my faith on this first understanding of God as Trinity. What in the world is he talking about? Okay, let's get into that. Let's let's talk about that by talking about the opposite. Um, This is my friend on the left. This is my friend, Ryan Dobson who was an intern here years ago, years ago, back in the early 60s. He was an intern here. And uh, he left here having, and I watched it kind of happen, his, his faith system. He, he came here knowing exactly what he believed, and he was going to tell us all what, we, what he believed so that we could somehow align with what he believed. And then he got here, and he went to Southern Nazarene, and he got a religion degree. And I hope you take this as a compliment. Uh, it all came apart. And then it was reconstructed with a much uh, more firm foundation. In fact, I will never forget sitting over here in the office that Jason has now. sitting there, and, and Ryan came in as a sophomore, a second semester sophomore, which is when we start to see these cracks in the edifice really start to take some shape there. And he came in and slammed the door behind him, burst into tears, standing there in front of my office, and he says, I have no place to stand. None of it makes sense anymore. And we, I don't know how long we were in there as he just sort of wept and I was sort of <laughs> dancing around him like not knowing for sure what to do. But finally, I think we got to a place where we said, okay, let's rebuild. What do, we, what do we know? And Ryan started that day, second semester of his sophomore year. He built an entire and is still building an entire faith system around this phrase. Ready? See if you can commit it to memory. God loves. Nothing that Ryan Dobson would ever believe, nothing ever again will ever not be traced back to God loves. If somehow someone's trying to force fit something into his system or universe of belief, but it can't be tracked back to God loves, reject it. In other words, what Ryan was doing was Trinitarian. He has gone to Hollywood where he is actually acting. He really is acting in some things, but now he is more likely uh, writing or directing. And he was here not too long ago. In fact, it was just last week. He was here for the Dead Center Film Festival, and he did this movie called Hosea. Now, none of the characters in the film were named Hosea. None of the characters in the film were named Hosea. Uh, this young woman here on the right played a woman who had a very, a, a little, as a little girl, had a very traumatic thing happen to her. There was abandonment. There was exploitation. She was damaged. She was abused. And ended up in a relationship with a man, ended up in a business relationship with a man who did, in fact, offer her some help and shelter, and food, so long as she held up her end of the contract, which was to allow her body then to be exploited. And so long as she held up her end of that business deal, then the father figure would then provide her with the necessities of life. Does that make some sense? So long as she did what she was doing, then he would offer her shelter, protection, food. It was a contract, but it was not a covenant, right? In fact, I would call that a business relationship or a business agreement and not any kind of real relationship. To keep telling the story, uh, she finally is... Romanced out of that life by this man here in the middle, the character in the middle, who remembers her from childhood, romances her out of that life, marries her, they have a child. The stress of her prior life sends her back into that world. He leaves, she leaves him and goes back into that world. In other words, what we're doing here is we're, we're just playing out the storyline of the book of Hosea. And it's a very interesting thing who this is raw. Jason and I had a chance to, to read this script and, and kind of speak into it. We both kind of read the script and went, "Oh, Ryan, this is, there are dirty words in this. It is like real and raw, and it's real and raw. And the movie ends kind of like the, the, uh, the book of the Bible ends. It ends with hope, but you don't know for sure. Hope, don't know for sure. What you do see, though, out of this... Man in the middle is a covenantal extension, not a contractual one. A contract says, if and when you do this, I will do this. That's contract, right? A lot of us are in contracts of one form or another, maybe with the bank or the people who sold us our car or what have you, maybe a a doctor or something. But contracts should not be confused with covenants. While contracts say, if you do this, I will do this, covenants say, I will do this because I love you. In some ways, it's a real tragedy that Trinity Sunday falls on Father's Day. I texted my dad this morning, and I said, "Uh, thank you for being my dad in a way that allowed me to believe in God as father. Some of you don't have that. Perhaps you weren't exploited by your dad the way that this woman was, or at least this character was, by her dad in some sense. But maybe you, too, have felt like along the way that what you had in terms of relationship with your dad was more contract and covenant. If I'll do this, I get this from dad. If I'll say this, I get this from dad. If I'll be this certain sort of way, then I'll get this from dad dad. And there is no way around the fact that if you have had, in any sense, a contractual relationship with your dad, then it is going to do some damage to your view of God and covenant. So here I am, I'm going to say all of these things about covenant and a covenantal God and a, and a, a God who is relationship, but perhaps you have had such a, a, a rough go of it <laughs> With your dad, maybe not on a large scale, but maybe in a small scale, maybe these words are hard for you to hear. Consequently, it's hard for you to embody covenant. And sometimes this is what we do. Sometimes then what we'll do is recast God in the image of a business partner as opposed to a covenantal father figure here's what I mean this is one of the more formative books in my entire life of faith the crucified God by a guy by the name of Jürgen Moltmann and that is that beautiful person right there Jürgen Moltmann and he has a chapter in this book that's called the cultification of the cross and in it now stay with me I'm kind of glad it's not kid Sunday and if you're a kid in here I'm really sorry hopefully your parents are taking notes in this chapter, here's what he says. We have this weird human tendency to understand God the way that we, that we as humankind have understood all other deities who have a rough sort of business relationship with all of the underlings. We, we do this, we sometimes recast God in this sort of image. You know, you have the underlings very afraid and very worried about what the God or the gods are going to do or not do for us, and so we dance around the campfire and we sacrifice things, and we are in the hopes that somehow we can finally appease this God and finally get the necessary things that we need. The shelter, food and drink. If we make the right sacrifices, finally, then God will unfold God's arms and we'll finally get what we need from a God or Father. You see what I mean? When he talks about the cultification of the cross, what he's saying is sometimes we look at this cross and we say, okay, this is how we keep God off our backs. Okay, okay. Angry God, arms folded, has to have an ultimate sacrifice so that God will finally unfold God's arms. And that makes some sense to a lot of people because that's how your relationship with your dad, with your dad at some level has been. And so again, we turn God into the other end of a high-stakes business deal. Every single week, we say something that makes some of you grind your teeth. We say, God's mind about you is made up. And the news is good. I got to go for a night to uh, high school camp, and you're not going to believe this, but whoever that guy was doing the uh, call to worship at the front, who looked strikingly like Zach Lucero every, every night, got up in front of high school kids and apparently had, had taught them this, because he got up and he said, God's mind about you is made up, and the news is, and 300 high school kids start yelling, good. Man, if we can help them to know that what they have in this God is a Trinitarian covenantal entity and not the other end of a high-stakes business deal entity, if they can actually live, 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 and decide and think as if God is trustworthy, then there opens up a possibility of life and faith that cannot be had if God is the other end of that high-stakes business deal. And so we say, God is Trinity. This is a triquetra here on the left. God is Trinity. And by that, we mean a whole lot more than God is relational, all right? <laughs> Even that in the mouths of some Christians has been a a problematic sort of thing because, because, here's when it gets problematic for us. Sometimes when we say, well, faith is a relational sort of thing, it is absolutely true. But you got to understand, faith is both, uh, relationship is both the, the means and the end of what we're trying to do. It is not a means to an end. In other words, we are not really interested and shouldn't be in fake relationships, so long as I can, through that fake relationship, finally get somebody to the place where they make the one decision. I hate the stuff about the one decision, y'all. And it's not the word decision that I hate. It's the word one that I hate. True covenantal relationships requires decisions on a daily basis. Perhaps on an hourly basis. Perhaps, a, I don't even know if this is a word, a minutely basis. Maybe even more than that. We don't, with the relationship, try to finally get somebody, coerce somebody kindly into making a decision. That's not what we mean when we say God is Trinity. Here's what we mean when we say God is Trinity. God loves, period. And an entire universe of belief can be built out of that one strand of truth. An entire way of being alive can be built out of that one strand of truth. And check your heart. Check your heart, church. Check your heart, Christians. If somehow this feels too risky to you, if you need something more than the love of God to construct your household of faith, you're not paying attention to Jesus, to God. This is an old icon, and typically every year, Trinity Sunday, we are talking about this. This is uh, by a a painter by the name of Rublev. This is understood as a Trinitarian sort of metaphor. And I've said this to you. You can kind of just sort of kind of see down there in the bottom between the the knees of the people on the edges of the table. You kind of see a little square there. Well, we think There's a little residue of some sort of adhesive there and we think what there was there was a mirror. We think there was a mirror there. So in other words, you walk up to this this painting that is supposed to represent the Trinity, God as relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit and sure enough, you walk up and you take a look and you look and there's a mirror there and you see yourself as part of God. God. You see yourself as having said yes to the invitation to enter into this relationship where you can not just know here, but know here with your whole body that God loves. And some of you have been going to church for a long time. And that, what I've just said, that God loves, and that God loves you in particular, that is not the foundation of your faith. could be by the time you left today. Here's another one I like. Perichoresis, we say that a lot around here too, especially on Trinity Sunday. It actually literally means circle dance. This is the circle dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one of the renditions or one of the ways that you might, uh, let's see, display that or illustrate that. And it is drawn specifically so you have some trouble seeing where one ends and the other begins. It is drawn specifically so that you would understand this to be a very dynamic relationship in which there is great mutuality, there is a, there is a community here. And even as tight-knit and as cool as this club is, and that's of the coolest club in the universe, by the way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as tight-knit and as, and as, and as one as that relationship is, you need to know this. The birthplace of faith is this, that this God says to you, want to dance? Some of you have grown up hearing God say, want to dance? And you have functionally said, no. Now, maybe you've never literally said no. You cannot find a time when you've actually said, no, I do not want to dance. But have functionally said no, by the end of this service today, you'll have opportunity to say yes to the God who asks, want to dance. Very important story in the Old Testament, uh, the calling of Abraham. And it's important for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons it's important is, is this, it is one of the clearest demonstrations that God, in God's essence as a relationship, reached to Abraham and offered and extended this invitation to relationship, though Abraham did, had done nothing to deserve it, and in fact would do several things if you keep reading. Through the book of Genesis will do several things to actually not deserve it, but God continually and covenantally extends God's self to Abram, Abraham who would become Abraham, and continually says, Will you want to dance? Do you want to dance? You want to dance? Do you want to dance? And there finally came a moment, there finally came a moment when Abraham believed and trusted the love that God had for Abraham. When Abraham finally believed and trusted the love that God had for Abraham, here's what we call that, you ready? Salvation. Wait a minute, that's that's not what I've heard. I thought salvation was when I allowed for Jesus to be killed all over again, to change something about me that I couldn't change myself. No. To trust that God loves you, to trust that God has extended God's self to you in relationship, and then to allow oneself to be loved into that dance is to allow for your life to be rescued and salvaged. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? According to the flesh, did he earn his way into God's favor? For if Abraham was justified by what he was doing, then he has something to boast about before, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed or trusted God, and God reckoned it, reckoned it, counted it to him as right relationship with God. To believe and trust in the love that God has for us and to say yes to it is to find oneself in good relationship with God. Saved. Justified. Now, now the words, it was reckoned to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. It may not seem like it, but every time I come over here, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm walking toward the cross, it's in the middle of our sanctuary. When I come to this cross and I say to you, friends, this is not a symbol for how angry God gets at us. This is a symbol of how far love will go to make this point that God loves. All the way to death and back. Okay, now. We can be justified by trusting the love that God has for us. This is what we've just heard read. Therefore, since we are justified By faith, we trust that love. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace through Christ, the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God invited to the dance as we have been. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character And character produces hope. Our theme throughout the Easter season, and we've kept it for Pentecost Sunday, and we've kept it now for Pentecost Sunday, is this theme of renovation. And you have heard me say, I hope you've heard me say week after week after week, that there is something about the resurrection. There is something about the resurrection that makes the planet, that makes all of creation ready for, ready for the work that we would do as renovated people, to go and do the hard work, partnering with God, the hard work of renovation. But you should know this. The assumption is, if we're going to be working and moving pieces of the renovation of all of creation, the, the assumption is that at some point, those of us who would be renovators would ourselves be renovated. By what? By saying yes to the God who says, you want to dance. And when included into that Trinitarian dance, what happens is, we are renovated. Doesn't mean my problems go away. That means I'm not alone as I face the trials that I face. And love becomes the working currency. The love authored by God becomes the blood in my veins and the working currency of a whole new way of being alive. Again, doesn't mean that I won't have struggles in my household. Doesn't mean I won't have struggles at work. It doesn't mean I won't get sick. It means in the midst of all of it, Suffering can produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. You don't have to be in the New Testament. It's throughout Scripture to hear an articulation of the love and to see an embodiment of the love that God has for us. But it is most clearly seen, the love that the Father has. I would submit it's most clearly seen on the cross. And it is mediated day by day by day by day by the Spirit. Hey, Have you taken a disciple class yet? I just just really can't. I'm really busy at work. Have you invested in your own life of prayer? Have you learned how to pray? I I just can't. It's hard for me to stay focused for that long. It's just my personality. Is there room in your schedule, much less in your heart, to reinvest yourself. We'll give you plenty of places to volunteer. You need to serve because there is something about learning the narrative of Scripture. There's something about learning to pray. There's something about giving oneself in service. There's something about meeting together in small groups and and praying with one another and confessing to one another. All of that is what we would put in the category of spiritual formation. And what happens in the process of spiritual formation, you learn to hear that God loves you mediated by the Spirit. But how many of us, and I would belong on this list too at one point in my life for sure, even while being your pastor, but how many of us will not give ourselves to the means of spiritual formation and then complain that we can't hear God? Lots. I love you dearly. I love you desperately. What I've said, what I've heard myself say over and over to these people who are in real pain this week, here's what I've said to them. Will you give yourself to the habits and practices that will allow you to hear God when God says, I am here? And if the answer is no, you won't give yourself to the habits and practices whereby you can hear God say, I am here. Here's the thing. You may not hear God say, I am here. Do you trust Do you trust the love that God has for you?
2: We often talk about Aldersgate Street or the Aldersgate experience as John Wesley's conversion experience. It represents a watershed moment in his spiritual journey somebody who has some sense of who God is and what God means and what God's about in their head but doesn't feel it or the spirit stirs in him in a way that a dynamic connection is made between what he believes about God in his head and now what he feels and experiences about God in his heart in his emotions.
1: I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from
2: the law of sin and death. It was the sense that God loved him, even him, that was life-changing.
0: In early 1738, John Wesley was at a low point, having just returned from his disappointing missionary efforts at the Colony of Georgia in the New World. Wesley reluctantly attended a group meeting on the evening of May 24th on Aldersgate Street in London. As he heard a reading from Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, he felt his heart strangely warmed.
2: He writes in his journal, I felt that God loved me. I experienced that God loved me. It was no longer something that was in my head, but it's something that I felt in my
0: heart. Wesley was the son of a preacher and grew up in a devoutly religious home. But the dynamic connection to God made at Aldersgate was new to him.
2: I think he came to his adulthood with one particular concept of how the religious life should work for him. And I think that's what he had to relearn. He had initially planned to live life in a certain way and that was gonna make a great relationship with God. And what Aldersgate taught him was he had to flip it. He'd gotten unintentionally the cart before the horse.
0: This reawakening of faith may happen many times in a person's journey. United Methodists set aside a day each year to celebrate the love of God in their own lives.
2: Aldersgate Sunday is a chance for us to do a little bit of spiritual inventory on our own. How am I experiencing God's love in my life?
1: John, that was a Methodist, this is not a Nazarene video. I, I reject it. <laughs> <laughs> we probably ought to have an Aldersgate Sunday around here to Wesleyan tradition that we are. An annual opportunity, and we missed it because it would have been three weeks ago. So today is your Aldersgate Sunday. Great. To ask yourself this question, do I understand my faith It's having originated in the heart of God for me. Or is it something that I started? John Wesley said, I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, (laughs) and saved me from the law of sin and death. I wouldn't have articulated it exactly like that because I didn't live 200 and some odd years ago. But I have that same testimony. There came a moment when I recognized that the only reliable way for John to be Christian is to finally step into, wade into the waters of God's love for me so that the rest of my Christian life and life was a lived out, I love you too. Please remember that you're saying yes, if you say yes, to someone else's invitation. This doesn't start with you. In fact, it starts with God. Look no further than this same chapter, a few verses later, that says, God proves God's love for us in that while we were still sinners and deserving of nothing. God extended God's self to us in Christ do you want to dance? Like, do you want to dance? It's not your dance, it's God's dance. Know that you would be stepping into God's dance. It's a good dance. (laughs) Do you know that God knows the worst thing about you? And still invite you to dance. Do you know that God knows when you said yes to something a while back, and yet your life has not necessarily lived up to the high standards of old oh, Jesus? Do you know that God knows that? And still says, Yep, you. You. Baggage and all. Yeah, and God says, I know what you did this morning, I know what you said to your child this morning on Father's Day of all things. You. Do you want to dance? The hospitality of God. It's Aldersgate Sunday around here at OKC first because we said so. <laughs> Each and every one of us here today, hear this. I get to be, I get to be embodied in mediated grace for you throughout the week as I listen to your aches and your pains, and I'm so honored to do so. I am the embodiment of mediated grace to you as I say this to you this morning. It's an invitation. Do you want to dance? And perhaps begin or begin again in a much better sort of way, the life of faith. need our hospitality team to come and set this table of hospitality. We celebrate the hospitality of God each week. And each week, if you are listening, you can hear the same invitation. Each each week. How about today? How about today? And again, this is not about the one decision. This is not about the one decision. Listen, I hope you made that decision when you were six, seven, eight years old. And I hope, I hope, That you have made several decisions since then. For me, my six year old decision wasn't gonna make it all 50 years. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them God remind us that you are always the God who invites. And help us to think through today the nature of this invitation that you are not just inviting us to be good but you're inviting us in to your very life and essence, in to this most elite of clubs, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet there is room for each of us and all of us. May we examine both the invitation and you who invites each of us today. And no matter how many times we will have said yes over the course of perhaps decades in faith, no matter how many times we will have said yes, God, awaken in each of us today a sense of urgency that we would today, perhaps in the taking of the bread and the cup, that we would today say yes to the invitation that is always on its way to us in every moment. Do you want to dance? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped because this invitation comes to you. It's grace, and so there's nothing you can do to buy it, steal it, charge it. You can leave your wallets in the pews. There's nothing you can do to get it any other way. It has to be given to you as a gift from a God who is constantly asking you, Hey, what about today? about today my prayer is that somebody today would have some idea by the end of this moment by the end of this time that we're about to have together my prayer is that somebody somebody today maybe me would better be able to identify with the words of Wesley who said it like this I felt my heart strangely warmed So I'll ask you to come forward with your hands cupped and as you do, you'll approach somebody with bread. That person will snap off a piece and press it into your hands saying, this is my body broken for you. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you and then take and eat and then church. Find a place to pray. Now it can be back in your pews. Perfectly acceptable to walk right back around and sit down right where you came from. If you need a prayer for healing, if you will come to one of these side padded altars, then somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing and it's healing of any kind. Physical, mental, emotional, familial on Father's Day. Somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer. Or you can come to one of these mourners benches kneeling benches up here at the front and we won't assume a thing but at some point somebody is going to touch you on the back the neck the shoulder just so you know that you are not alone because you are not alone if you can't come to us jason and katie will come to you just slip up a hand and they will find you i promise if you would like to make a special trip to this bowl of water If you are amongst the baptized today, but you've forgotten what it means, maybe you've even forgotten the moment of your baptism, our hope is that the special trip that brings you to this bowl will help you to remember. Just just dip your fingers into the bowl and may the chill of the water remind you that, yep, you've identified yourself with the people who said yes to God's invitation to dance all the time. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you in love. And every time you eat of it, remember me. And in the same way later, he took the cup and he held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And I'll add this, remember you're invited remember you're invited and now all across the sanctuary if you would stand to your feet exit your pews to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of god meant to resource the people of god